The reading today is Matthew eleven twenty-eight to twelve eight, which is on page nine hundred and seventy-seven of the Church Bibles. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went throughout the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that there is something greater than the temple here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent. It's great to welcome you here to church this morning. It's a great morning. We've commissioned our leaders. Uh, what I haven't told you is we're going to share a lunch together after this. And so if you've come uh, with a, an appetite, uh, please hang around afterwards uh, and uh, share the lunch together. You'll... It's a wonderful opportunity for us to begin to spend time digesting some of the great answers to some of the questions that our world is asking. So if you are visiting here this morning, you've come in on a series that we've called Answers for a Questioning World. And um, this morning we are looking at the question that our society is looking for about rest. You know, we really like it, don't we? But maybe we're not asking the question, but our experience is somewhat uh, lacking, isn't it? We may not be coming out, where do I find rest? But we feel it, don't we? And to unpack the answer to that question, we're going to look at one of Jesus' most famous sayings. Uh, Lara read it for us from the end of, Luke, uh, end of Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. And we're going to focus in particularly on those three words. Uh, it's a cherished promise that Jesus makes, but I think often misunderstood. We've got to unpack this this morning. There are five questions. Here they are. Okay, who's it for? It's all reappeared, Joel. Uh, Who's it for? What is it really? Where do you find it? How do you get it? And why would you accept it? And if I've got time at the end of this, I've also got an appendix, but that's time dependent. So we'll see how we go. Okay, so our first question is, who is it for? Who is Jesus making this offer to? Well, have a look at these words. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Now, I could ask you to put up your hand. Uh, Weary and burdened. But I reflect back on my, my experience of life, and those words are there. They are there in spades. And as I have gone older, you know, as I've gone through my 30s and 40s, uh, I've felt it more, weary and burdened. Maybe if you don't feel that this morning, it's because you're 16 and you've still got the vigour of youth. But us older folk might be able to tell you 
that the wearied and burdened becomes more and more a reality of life. And it's more than physical, isn't it? It's more than physical. I can remember once I had long service leave and I stacked extra leave on the end of it. So I had 13 weeks of leave in a row. How long did it take for me to lose the shine of that holiday? Two days. Two days. I had 13 weeks off and two days in, I'm like, oh, I feel like I've never been away. It's more than just physical. And Jesus speaks of that, doesn't he? He speaks of not rest for the body, but rest for the soul. A deeper rest that is needed. So what is it? Can I suggest it's more than just lying on the beach. It's more than just kicking back on the sofa. It's more than just enjoying uh, a good meal or just time without pressures. I'd like to suggest that the rest that Jesus is talking about here is something that is closer to home. And when I'm talking about home, I'm not talking about bricks and mortar. I think sometimes because we've lost the deeper sense of home, we can focus on bricks and mortar. And we can think if we have the designer lounge suite and the wonderful new surface and the great looking house and all the rest of it, then that's a home. Well, it's not. I think there's a deeper thing about that home, that place where you can find rest for your soul. Can I say, we're talking, I think, about the ideal, in some cases, not the reality. But home is the place where you're accepted. You've actually got nothing to prove. You don't need to validate why you are there. You are just accepted. It's the place where you belong. It's the place where there's no need for you to think, well, what's next? I need to move. It's the place where you are known, where there's nothing to hide, where you don't need to present the happy face all the time, where you can be you and they are not surprised. It's the place where you are loved. The place where you are cherished for who you are. That's home. Home's not four walls. Home is that place where you are accepted. Where you belong. Where you're known. Where you're loved. The place where your soul finds its rest. It's a place that is freed from anxiety, where you're not constantly worried, have I done enough? Will I be accepted? Will they still love me? Where you're freed from striving. Have I done enough to prove myself? Have I arrived? Am I there yet? Free from burden, where it all depends on you. Home is the place where we find rest for our souls. I've defined it relationally. And I think my friend Augustine captures it best. He says, you have made us for yourselves, Lord, 
our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Hopefully we'll see that Augustine is reflecting what Jesus is teaching. That we are designed for rest in God. It is in him that we have home. So where do you find it? Where do you find it? See, I've answered two questions really quickly. We might get to this appendix. This is a longer one. Where do we find it? Because I think our society longs for this. They long to be accepted, to be known, to belong, to be loved. They crave it. And they run around trying to fill that ache with other things. Go online. Look at social, social media. Look at the, the community that is generated there. That sense of belonging where you can jump on the causes with everyone else and get all the likes until you jump on the wrong cause and all your friends abandon you. Maybe it's the fickle acclaim of success. That thing, if I achieve in whatever is your, your field, in business... In sport, in the arts, if I achieve, if I just get there, if I am acclaimed. But you know what? You're only as good as your yesterday, aren't you? You're only as good as your last performance. One of the things I've said to my kids many, many times, uh, quoting Star Wars, uh, quoting the worst episode of Star Wars, uh, there's always a bigger fish. There is always a bigger fish. So no matter how good you are, no matter how smart you are, there is always the point where someone else will come in and steal the limelight. A young writer trying to make it in New York wrote these words in the New York Times. He said he realised that the, me- the quality of his work was the measure of his worth. The quality of his work was the measure of his worth. And he said it destroyed his ability to appreciate writing. Because he was trying to constantly live through it. Can you enjoy your job if you're trying to constantly validate yourself through it? Can you enjoy a relationship, a romantic relationship, a boyfriend, girlfriend, a fiancé, a spouse... If you're constantly seeking affirmation, if you're constantly seeking to find that place in them, it transforms that relationship. Relationships are somewhere else that we look for these things. And I've written here the tragically fragile blessing of relationship. I don't need to tell you. If you live long enough, you will lose everyone you care about. My grandmother lived well into her 90s. When she was finally buried, there wasn't that many people there. Why? Because she had been to their funeral first. She had buried her husband, her son, her friends. Even if you have wonderful relationships, if you live long enough, you will lose them. They're a great blessing. Don't hear me say they're not good. But we are made for something more. If that is home, home is constantly under threat. If work is home, what happens when you hit 65 or 67 or 68 or whatever date the government decides it's time for you to rest and you walk out that door? I can remember hearing a stat 
that airline pilots, back in the days where airline pilots were uh, more than uh, the bus drivers that they tend to be today, uh, it was a, a job of great esteem and great privilege that they would die on average just a handful of years after retiring. Because they'd gone from this wonderful life to nothing. They'd woken up to insignificance and life was no longer worth living. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you're not chasing after things. I think our society has another option and that is to numb the pain. And we drown ourselves in endless Minecraft, (laughs) computer games, Netflix. You know, Netflix has told us that their great enemy is sleep. Their aim is to stop you going to bed. That's why there's that five-second countdown. Like, I've I've felt it too. You know, next episode, starting in five seconds. And then you start, oh, I've got to see it, I've got to see it, I've got to see it. And then you find out it's way too late. We numb ourselves with the computer, with the television, with alcohol and drugs with endless holidays and planning for the next one and the next one and the next one. Good things often, but they don't answer the need. We strive to achieve something or we jump from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. I think there's a younger generation and us slightly older people look at you with a little bit of bafflement that you change jobs with this extraordinary regularity. We had the issue where we became addicted. We kept on going back and if I work a bit harder and if I get a bit further, then I'll I'll get the answer. We just went back to the same well thinking it would taste different. You try all the different wells thinking that they might deliver. Or you redefine your life. Someone said, life is about finding a tolerable level of pain and calling it happiness. Okay, what can I live with? Yep, I can make this work. But it's not the answer. And it's not what Jesus offers. Another person I enjoy reading is a guy called Jamie Smith. He says this when he speaks of our restlessness. He says that it's a reflection of what we try and enjoy as an end in itself. Let me explain that a little bit. So if we try and enjoy work as an end in itself, it never satisfies because it can't deliver. If we try and enjoy relationships as an end in themselves, they can't deliver. If we try and enjoy leisure and holidays and computer games as an end in themselves, they just don't stack up. We look for them as a place to land. I love this. The heart's hunger is infinite which is why it will be ultimately be disappointed in anything merely finite. Those little things are meant to propel us to the big thing. They're meant to take us further. And the place we find that rest is not a where, but it's actually a who. What's Jesus say? Come to me. His offer here is not an offer of rest, even though that appears later on in the verse. His offer here 
is an invitation for relationship. What he tells us is that, come to me, that's the invitation. And literally, and you'll have to trust me on this, but literally, if you go back to the original language that this was written in, it doesn't say, and I will give you rest. What it says is this, and I will rest you. It's a different idea. Let me explain. You know, a guy, snazzy-looking African-American guy, walks in with a cool hat. He's looking for a suit. He goes up to the shop assistant and says, will you help me with the suit? What is his goal? It's the suit, isn't it? He's not really interested, most likely, in the shop assistant. He doesn't want to form a lifelong relationship with the shop assistant. He wants the suit. Okay? Think about it next time you go to Coles or Woolworths or the grocers or whatever it is you buy. You're not sitting there going, you might talk to the person behind the counter, but you're not ultimately thinking, I want this lady or this man serving me my cans of tomatoes to be my lifelong friend. I want to actually build a relationship with the person behind the counter. No, I want my groceries. That's what I'm there for. And we can treat Jesus. I want rest and Jesus is the guy that will sell it to us. But what he's actually saying, that's not how it works. Jesus says, when you come to me, as you come to me, and as a consequence of coming to me, you will be rested. That will give you what you are after. As you come to Christ, you find rest as a byproduct, as a thing that comes to you as an implication of coming to Christ. It's not something that Jesus gives us, that it was separate from him. It is something that we get because we come to him. What is this rest? Where does it come from? What does it mean to get it? Because as we come to Christ, we come to the one through whose life, death and resurrection, we are made acceptable before God. And so as I come to Christ, he has done everything I need for God to say, you are accepted. I don't need to strive. I don't need to prove myself. I come to the one who knows me better than I know myself. There is nothing that I can do that will shock Jesus Christ and there is nothing that I can do that will make him turn away from me. As I come to him, the acceptance, the belonging, the knowledge and the love that I crave are there. And not just with Christ himself, because one of the things that the Bible teaches us is that as we come to Christ, as we find grace and forgiveness in him, we are included, enfolded, embraced in the Father's family. John, one of Jesus' friends, wrote this to an early church. He says, see what great love the Father has lavished upon us. Can I say, that's a mild translation. The older translation said, behold, like, wow, what love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. When we come to Christ, we find home. 
when we come to Christ, we find rest. Because we don't need to prove anything. Because he accepts us, he knows us, we are loved. Someone wrote once, the Christian word for God is Father. It's amazing, isn't it? The Christian word for God is Father. Let me just step backwards for a second and say, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. And when you hear those words, weary and burdened, they really resonate. And you hear Jesus promising rest and you kind of think, well, I've been at this for a while, but this is what I feel like. I feel like I'm dragging the load. Can I just offer a few words to that? As we come to Christ, the danger is that we use Jesus and his death and resurrection for us as the ticket that gets us in the door. And then we move on. And what Jesus is actually saying, and when he says, come to me and I will rest you, we shouldn't be surprised that then if we move on, what do we lose? We lose the benefits that come from being with Christ, which is the rest. So maybe, brother, sister, if that's you, and I know on occasion it has been me, maybe we've left Jesus behind. Not that we don't know that he loves us. Not that we don't know that he accepts us because of his death and resurrection. But we've gone back to trying to fill the hole, not with him that we were made for, but with our striving. And instead of doing the work thing, although Christians can fall into that trap, instead of doing the relationship thing, although we can fall into that trap, We do the religion thing and we get our sense of acceptance because we're really, really, really full on in our Christian faith. I read the Bible every day. I say my prayers. I share my faith. And I live through that, not through Christ. Can I tell you, if you do that, burdened and weary is what you will feel. Look at the Pharisees in the next bit that Lara read for us. What are they doing? They're nitpicking about stupid rules about picking heads off grain on the Sabbath. Their religion is not a relationship. It's a bunch of rules. Have you walked away? Have you moved past? Do you love the one who is your saviour and your teacher? Are you spending time in his word? Are you sinking deeper into his grace. Anyway, let's keep moving. How do you get it? If this rest, this deep rest from the soul, if this longing for home is found in Christ, how does Jesus say we are to take it on ourselves? Well, it's there in verse 29. He tells us to take his yoke. Now, we're not really an agricultural society, but most of us will be familiar with a yoke, yes? We get the two oxen, to get them to work together, to drag the cart or the plough, you have the yoke. It allows you to carry the burden. It was an image that was quite common for the day for a teacher 
to say to their student, for a teacher to be yoked, uh, the, the student to be yoked to the teacher. So we do teaching a little bit differently. For those of you going to university, um, do you provide meals for your lecturers? No. Do you even turn up for lectures? No, no, that's a different thing. Um, you know, sometimes when it suits you, uh, yes. Uh, but if in, in Jesus' day, if you chose a teacher, you often left home to be with them. You served them. You provided for them. Their, their presence was the centre of your world. And Jesus is saying, if you want to come to me, you come to me and I will teach you. I will be the centre of your world. Learn from me. Listen to my words. Watch my example, my words, my walk. I will teach you. That is what Jesus is saying. And Jesus doesn't do away with things. If you're familiar with Jesus' teaching, he actually takes it higher than those that were around him. Jumping back in Matthew's Gospel... He says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So how is it that Jesus can actually say, my, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Because he's telling you to get on board. He's telling you to learn. He's telling you to listen. He's telling you to model. How do we not turn this into just another burden. We need to recognise that our teacher is our saviour, that we rest in his completed work. We don't need to sit an exam to be good enough for Jesus. We don't need to strive to be accepted. The thing that makes Jesus's yoke easy is not that he expects nothing, He tells us to take up our crosses. He tells us that if we don't lay down our lives for him, if we want to gain our lives, we lose it. But if we lose our lives for him and for the gospel, he tells us it costs us everything. How is this an easy yoke? Because the acceptance becomes before, not after. I don't strive in order to be accepted. I am accepted, and so I strive. Let me give you a cool little example of how this works. I love it because it's all about love. Um, If you read the Old Testament, uh, there's Jacob, you know, there's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So you go down, Abraham's there in Genesis 12. By the time you get to Genesis 29, um, Jacob has come on the scene. He's kind of done the dirty by his brother, uh, Esau, and he's a little bit freaked out thinking that Esau is going to do him in. And so mum and dad say, why don't you go stay with the cousins? Okay, so he runs away. And he goes across into Mesopotamia, probably what we know today as Iran, uh, where he hangs out with his cousins and he's there and he falls in love with this girl called Rachel. Now, one of the things I love about this is um, in those days, young men who wanted to marry beautiful young women, they paid the bride price. Now, what was Jacob's bride price? He worked for seven years. Now, 
Can I just say, I have three daughters. That's 21 years of indentured servitude uh, for whoever wants to marry them. Okay, We can negotiate maybe one or two years either way. We'll see. But we read this. Sorry, girls. <laughs> no one's going to go near them now. Oh, no. Okay. Read this. Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. It's one of those bits of the Bible where you just want to go, oh, isn't it nice? But this is what makes Jesus' yoke easy and the burden light. John tells us we love because he first loves us. And when we see in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, just how much he loves us. I read this morning in Romans chapter 5, while we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. His love stretched that far. When we see his love for us, and his spirit in turn works love for him in us, what wouldn't you do? He worked for seven years and it seemed just like a few days. There is a yoke that is light. Why? Because love drove it. So, brings us to our last question. Why would you accept it? Because Jesus says if you come to him, there's no half measures. You yoke yourself to him. He is your teacher. He is your master. You make him the centre of your life. His words are your truth. His goals are your ambition. Why would you do it? Particularly in a society that values independence as much as we do. Why would you do it? Well, let me tell you two things. One... You might think you're independent, but you're not. You all serve something. And what's the answer to your question of rest? Where do you find that? That is what you serve. There was a guy by the name of um, David Foster Wallace. He died a few years back. But he wrote a little piece called This Is Water. And this is a little bit about it. And he's he's not a Christian, he's an atheist, this fellow. Uh, And he says this, he says, The compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, he's using the language of worship. And can I say, I think when he's, he's going spiritual general, I would like to rephrase this and Christianity is unique because of grace. No other religion has grace. Everything else is all about your works and what you do. But he tells us that anything else that you worship will eat you alive. Anywhere else you look for rest will leave you tired and burdened. Give you an example. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. Worship power and you'll be afraid. The thing that you look to enslaves you. 
So why would you look to Christ? Read this. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. This is the one who had all the power in the universe and served. This is the one who had all the glory and went to the cross. This is the one to whom every knee should bow and will bow, who bowed under the weight of the cross and under the scourge of the whips. This is the one who deserves the crown that crowns all power and authority, who wore thorns. This is the one who came to that which was his own, but his own did not, would not know him. And he did this for us. So why would you give it? Because you're going to serve someone. And why not serve the one who can truly give what your soul craves? Let me just very briefly jump into my little appendix. I call this why Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything because he frees us from our idols. If we are looking to work, if we are looking to relationships, if we are looking to success or whatever, if you have value because you're smart, because you're beautiful, because you're rich, if that's what you look to, Jesus breaks their power over you. Because you see that they don't give what you think they offer. They offer gold and they pay in dust. They offer freedom and they deliver slavery. And in Christ, you are set free. You're set free from the idols and their bitter fruit. The anxiety, have I done enough? Am I secure enough? Am I pretty enough? Am I powerful enough? Am I rich enough? The striving, one day I will get there, one day I will be there, one day I can rest. The burden, it sets us free. Christ sets us free. And it may not happen immediately. It may not be that you give your life to Christ and all of a sudden all the worries disappear. But the promise is... That as you come to Christ and you stay with Christ and as you learn from Christ and as his words dwell in you and as his spirit works in you, the burden will lift, the worries will ease. It's not a quick fix. It's not take two of these in the morning and everything will be fine. It's a life with Christ. And what a privilege that is. But you know the other thing? Jesus liberates us from our idols. Jesus also liberates our idols from us. Now, let me explain this. If you are trying to get all your significance, if you're trying to find all your rest in your marriage, will your spouse feel the burden of that? My goodness, they will. And when they let you down, which they will, will you despair? Most likely. 
If you're looking to work to be the place where you find the acceptance and belonging, what do you do when your boss calls you in that morning and says, there's no more place for you here? What Jesus does is he actually liberates our idols from us. He lets work become work. He lets relationships become relationships. He lets holidays and good things become just holidays and good things that you can enjoy, that you can value, that you can be blessed by because you're not looking for the ultimate rest. You're not looking for the ultimate meaning in them. That is there. Let's just go back to that quote by Jamie Smith. When we try and enjoy things as ends in themselves, they actually become our masters. When holidays are the things that I live for, two or three days before you come back, you start to grieve. You never settle down, you're never at home, you're never here. You're looking for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. My parents, when they retired, they got some financial advice. And the financial advisor, Dad retired at 62, a little bit earlier than some. And they said, if you want to go on a holiday, do it before you're 70. Because after you're 70, you need to be close to the doctors. And so you're not going to be spending all your time out. And Mum and Dad love trekking. They said, so do it now. Spend your money now. Don't save it for when you're 80. Because most likely, you're not going to have the holidays then. Because you need to be close to medical care. You need to be close to the places that can fix you when you break. And so that idea that is there, that I better live for this, but one day you can't. But you know what? Holidays are great. Love them. But you know what? They were never meant to be the ultimate rest. They point us to the bigger holiday. They take us from the finite to the infinite. They take us from the good thing to God. And so, brothers and sisters, let me encourage you to come to Christ, to stick with Christ, to learn from him, because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would help us to see what blessing you have lavished upon us. That as we come to Christ, as we find grace and forgiveness in him, as we learn from him, we are included in your family. We are loved. We are cherished. We belong. We are accepted. Lord, let us find that rest for our souls. Lord, forgive us when we've turned and we've made the limited things, the finite things into bigger things. Father, thank you for drawing our attention to the fact that they can never satisfy. And Lord, let us find satisfaction only in you. Lord, we do feel the burden. We do feel weary. But we ask, Lord, that you would rest us that as we live in you and you in us, that we would have rest for our souls. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.